Welcome to a brand new episode of Half the Battle. I'm your host as always, Daniel Levy. Today's episode is brought to you by BestFivePicks.com. Go to BestFivePicks.com, type your email in that top right corner, and get the best fight picks and podcast delivered to your inbox every single fight week. Joining me on this very special edition of Half the Battle is UFC flyweight contender. I'm talking about Ray Borg. Ray, welcome to Half the Battle, man. Hey, man. Thanks for having me on the show. I appreciate it. Yeah, of course, man. So you're only 22 years old, and you're in the UFC living your dream. What's that like, man? Uh, it's pretty crazy, man. I was just talking to, talking to my girlfriend and my brother last night that it's uh, sometimes uh, people tweeting me about wanting to do interviews with me and things like that, talking about my previous fights kind of has to remind me I'm in the UFC. Sometimes it feels so surreal that I totally forget that I'm in the UFC, and like I'll be watching UFC fights, and I'm like oh, man, these guys are pretty cool. I kind of want to be where they're at someday. And then I'm like, oh, shit, I kind of am. So it's pretty cool, man. It's just really surreal. It's been really hard to totally grasp everything. Yeah, man. And speaking of which, you know, you actually compiled a perfect 4-0 amateur record. Then you go 6-0 pro. So you already had 10 fights, you know, by the time you made your UFC debut. How old were you when you made your UFC debut? And what was it like having that many fights at such a young age? Um, it was, I was 20 years old when I made my UFC debut and, uh, I had about 10 fights sounds about right before I entered the UFC and it, you know, it played in my favor, favor. I wish I could have had maybe just a tiny bit more experience going into my UFC debut, but unfortunately as an amateur, it got to the point where no one wanted to fight me. So I kind of, you know, had to, I had to take the step up. Same thing with the UFC. It was starting to get really hard to match me and Joe Silva or, uh, Sean Shelby called and. You know, those are opportunities don't really turn down. So it, it helped in my favor a lot having those type of, ex, you know, those fight experiences going into the UFC. Yeah, for sure. And you talk about the experience and it was absolutely a lot of experience that you got because the two guys you defeated before you came into the UFC, they both had records of eight and one. So it's not like you were going out there, you know, crushing cans or anything. So just talk about fighting that level of competition at such a young age. Yeah, I feel like that was what really, you know, helped me get in the UFC at only six and oh is that. Uh, I think my first three professional fights were somewhat, you know, all right, decent guys. And after that, I, uh, what was it? My fourth pro fight, I took on a guy named Angelo Sanchez, who here in New Mexico is kind of like a, a local hometown hero. His record was like 12 and 12 and three or 12 and four at the time. And uh, he had fought some really tough dude. He, dudes, he was the king of the cage, 45 pound champ for a while. And, you know, that was, that was one of the scariest fights for me because I was at the time just turned 19. And uh, I went in there and I beat him in unanimous decision. And then uh, after that, I just started putting all these other guys away. You know, I started taking on higher level competition and uh, just started all kind of to speak for itself that I was ready for the UFC. For sure. So you beat Saudino and then you beat Nick Urso. Then you get the call to fight in the UFC and you make your debut against a top 10 guy in Dustin Ortiz. Now, first of all, what was it like getting that call? It was pretty crazy. You know, I would be lying if I said I didn't cry because, you know, only being 20 years old, I went through a lot of stuff to get where I am. And, you know, I, I had to overcome a lot of obstacles and a lot of struggles. So, you know, I, I, I shed a tear or two once I got the call. And then uh, I told him, you know, obviously I go, well, how do you I asked my coach, Tom Vaughn, how he felt about it. And and he said he was comfortable with it. So I was game. You know, I usually have to go to my coach when I, you know, I have to ask him how he feels about things when we take fights, because if it was up to me. I'd fight pretty much anybody, any weight is my mentality. So he's kind of like, you know, the, my second, you know, the guy, my right hand guy to tell me 
what fights are good, what fights are, you know, maybe we should wait on. And we felt really comfortable with Dustin Ortiz going into that fight. Yeah, man, you showed it in the fight itself. Now, obviously, you know, we are going to talk about your scrambling abilities because that's what you're very well known for. But something that a lot of people don't often talk to you about is that in that fight, you actually showed off some very nice spinning kicks. And, you know, I often hear you talk about in your interviews that, you know, you you don't feel like you've really shown you're striking to its fullest potential. But I saw little glimpses in that fight that you do have, you know, some serious striking in your arsenal. So just talk about how, you know, you oftentimes get into these amazing scrambles in your fights, but you do have a lot of striking at your disposal as well. Yeah, you know, that's something that I've uh, I've grown frustrated with that I haven't shown those abilities and that, you know, the obviously, the you know, my ground game is my comfort. And I feel like I like to take it to the ground because, to be honest, I don't really like fights going three rounds I like finishing my fights get my paycheck and getting out and I know I have the ability to finish anybody on the ground but as far as my striking goes I realize now that I just got to be patient and then when it happens it's gonna happen uh you know Chad Mendez started off as a wrestler before he started knocking people out Dillashaw who's one of the best strikers in the 35 pound division much less UFC he started off as a grappler so it's just patience one of these fights you know hopefully this next fight It'll all come on out, and then uh, a lot of people are going to have a lot more to worry about than just my grappling ability. Yeah, and speaking of your wrestling, where did you learn how to wrestle? Because I looked on your wiki, and they didn't list any credentials at all, but then I see you going in there against Dustin Ortiz and picking him up like Matt Hughes and slamming him. So I know you've done some wrestling before. Tell me about that. You know, man, it's actually pretty funny how my wrestling background is... uh... I, I, you know, I come from a family of wrestlers, you know, a lot of my family, you know, state champs here in New Mexico. But when I started, I wrestled in Arizona and the first two years I wrestled, I actually had probably one of the worst Arizona wrestling records ever. I think my first year I was like two and 25 and I only beat like a girl and some other guy. And then my second year I kind of broke even, but honestly, man, all my wrestling just came from just, you know, learning MMA wrestling, which is why I feel like I'm. I'm taking all these guys down is because all these other guys who come from a wrestling pedigree, they're having a hard time transitioning their wrestling credentials to MMA wrestling because MMA wrestling is leaps and bounds different than, you know, collegiate wrestling. So I feel like that's where I have the advantage versus most wrestlers. And uh, also, you know, my my wrestling coach now, John Judy's played a really big factor in my scrambling abilities and my wrestling abilities now. Yeah, man. So you said you wrestle in Arizona. When did you move to New Mexico? You know, I, I've kind of like people ask me all the time where I'm from and stuff. And it's kind of hard to really tell them where I'm from because I was born in Arizona. But just because, of, you know, the rough background I, you know, I came up on, I was back and forth between Arizona, New Mexico, Arizona, New Mexico. So I established myself in New Mexico at in the ninth grade, which is when I started training for MMA. I started training with a guy named Abel Colum, who was pretty well-known for a while. He fought Wilson Heath for the first Elite XC belt, fought in Dream quite a few times. So that's who I started with in a small, small town of Tucumcari, New Mexico, when I was ninth grade. So that's when I really established myself in New Mexico. Yeah, and can you talk about a little bit of the adversity that you had to overcome? Because a lot of kids that are your age currently, they can look at you as a role model you know, for ways to get out of their current situations. Yeah, you know, uh, as a kid, it, it was never easy, you know, you know, my parents were divorced, divorced at a young age, but then being divorced at a young age was, you know, or me being at a young age was hard just because, you know, as they got divorced, 
they both kind of went different directions on what they were doing in life. So, it, you know, the reason why things kind of click so easy for me being 22 years old is that I've had to be an adult since the time I was like 10 years old. I've had to take care of my brother, had to take care of my sister. So, you know, those are a lot of type of adversities living, living really poor for the most part, you know, eating bologna sandwiches every day where it was a big factor. And then, you know, also as far as when I got into this sport, a lot of people, they start off in this sport, their parents pay for beginners classes and they get to, you know, do all that stuff. When I first started, I was thrown straight to the wolves. I was tapped out like probably thousands of times before I ever tapped anybody out. And, you know, I was getting the shit beat out of me every day. And then as I started to pursue a career in MMA, I moved from Tucumcari to Albuquerque when I was 18. Well, actually, when I was 17, about to turn 18, packed all my shit in a little Toyota Camry and just been kind of trying to make it the whole time, you know, just kind of just struggling on my own. Never, you know, my parents could barely support themselves, much less help me, you know, help support me. So always finding little jobs to try and do setting up cages for local events here. And so, you know, I've had to come a lot of struggles. I was pretty much homeless for about three months before I made it into the UFC, just sleeping on teammates and my girlfriend's couches and stuff like that. Wow. So, you know, you mentioned that you know what it's like to not have anything. You know what it's like to be poor. But I got to ask you, man, you know, you had two back-to-back performance of the night bonuses. I got to know, man, what's that like? You know, not just to get those bonuses, but to get those bonuses at that age, man. It was pretty, you know, it it was a, a, a good thing and also a bad thing. You know, I uh, I got the money and at first it was like, I still didn't feel like I had the money. Like, you know, I was still felt like I was broke, which was per, probably a better thing because I wasn't spending money. And then as the second bonus rolled in, I kind of thought I was on top of the world, started spending, you know, buying everything for my family, you know, trying to support my family. So, you know, it was a blessing in disguise. It kind of showed me, you know, what money can do to a person and know uh, how to uh, how to counter those things. For sure. And not only that, but I'm pretty damn sure that a lot of people that, you know, you used to know back in the day are really trying to be your friend now. Is that true? Yeah, I got a lot of new friends. Got a, actually, I'm pretty sure every fight I gained about three cousins and three new family members, you know, but that that just comes with the comes with the job, you know. Yeah, absolutely, man. So, you know, we kind of got a little bit off track and we were talking about the Dustin Ortiz fight. And, you know, obviously, like I mentioned, you know, fans remember it for all the great scrambles. So I got to know, man, did you think that when you had his back that you were going to choke him out? Uh, you know, I. it's frustrating going back and looking at that fight because because of the fighter that I am and the back control that, you know, that's my spot. You know, I nine times out of 10, I'm choking someone out with, when I have them have back control. But to be honest, my mindset wasn't really right going into the Dustin Ortiz, Ortiz fight. I'm really confident in myself, but because I was only 20 years old, you know, I only had six fights for, for a split second. It was kind of, I kept thinking to myself, am I ready for this level of competition? You know, Dustin Ortiz is highly ranked and I'm, you know, not even in the UFC. I started to have some self-doubt and then, you know, I have this ability to where when the cage door closes... Nothing else in this world matters. I go in there and I fight, and that's what I did. But what sidetracked me a lot throughout the whole fight is I've been dreaming about being in the UFC since I was, like, 14. So being in there, and when I had his back, you can actually see in the fight, I start looking up at the crowd, and it's because I saw my name on the, like, on the big jumbotron and, like, my name above it, and I thought to myself, holy shit, I'm here. This is this has actually happened. This, this isn't a dream. And then I had to tell myself, oh, shit, you're in a fight. You better get back to fighting. 
So, you know, mentally there were some things that I would like to have corrected. And I feel like if I fought Ortiz a second time or even that same fight, if I was in, you know, the mindset I'm in now, I would have finished him. Yeah, man. And, you know, regardless of your mindset, that was a very valiant effort. Now, with a lot of guys that I have on the show, you know, guys that are known for their knockout power, I often ask them, when did they first find out they had that kind of knockout power? But with you, you're well known for your back control and the way you take people's back. So when did you realize that, the, that you were that scrappy and scrambly, man? Um, Probably the second day I ever started training, which is why I got the nickname the Taz Mexican Devil is because... I went in there. I had no clue what I was doing. I was, you know, I was a wrestler just trying not to get tapped out. And I went in there with all these tough ass jujitsu guys and I just kept scrambling and moving just so I didn't, you know, get tapped out. And I was just kind of all over the place. And they told me like, dang, you're like a, you're fast and you're scrappy. You're kind of like a little Tasmanian devil. And then my stepfather told me like, well, you know, Tasmanian devils are from Romania. I think it'd be kind of catchy if you said Taz Mexican devil, given that you're Mexican. So I was like, all right. And we went with that name and it clicked. And, but, you know, from probably the second day of training, I knew that I was pretty scrap, scrappy and pretty scrambly. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. And you mentioned the origins of the name. That's actually really cool to hear because, you know, my dad's Romanian, my mom's Mexican. So you get the best of both worlds, my friend. That's pretty awesome yeah. to hear. And so next up, you get the call. You know, originally you're supposed to fight someone else, but then Shane Howell steps up. And, you know, this guy, he's very underrated. He's as tough as they come because if you watch his fight after the fight you had with him, you know, Patty Houlihan had him in the same situation and couldn't tap him out. And you uh, basically tapped him out almost as soon as you took his back. So, I mean, was that as close to a perfect fight as you can get, Ray? Yeah, you know, going to the Shane Howell fight, I, I told myself, I was like, you know, no fighter's ever done good in his career losing the first two fights. You know, that's usually you're on the chopping block. So I told myself, you know, all bullshit aside, you need to go in there and you need to finish this guy as quick as you possibly can was my mindset. You know, we felt comfortable everywhere. Like, you know, like that's usually the situation is we feel comfortable with every opponent everywhere. But it's all about going with the flow most of the time is our game plan. And, you know, the flow was telling me to get this guy to the ground and choke him out as quick as possible. Yeah, man, and that transition to his back, once again, was very beautiful. So, next up, you fight Chris Kalaitis, and I mean, this guy, he's a veteran, he's as tough as they come, he's a little bit older than you, and uh, man, were you surprised with how tough he is? No, we knew that was, uh, you know, after watching him fight uh, Houlihan, that's how we we knew he was tough, is that's how he beat Houlihan, is just pure toughness is what we thought, and you know, heart and determination so we knew going into this fight that we were gonna have to really try and break him down and really take it from him and really go in there and take that win from him and that was you know that was pretty much it is we knew I can outstrike him I can out grapple him and we knew grappling was his forte and if you go back and watch the video you know I like majority of the time as he would try to engage in the clinch and the takedown and you know I would kind of just show him that I'm better there and he's not so so, you know, I ended up taking him to the ground, and uh, I, I thought that was a pretty perfect fight, too. Yeah, it was really cool. And at the end, you know, when you did get that Kimura, it was pretty interesting positioning because, you know, he almost had your leg kind of like in a half guard, but then you had your other leg over his head. So can you just talk about that position? Because, you know, I, I do roll jujitsu, and that was very, uh, it was very interesting to watch, man. It's not something that I often find myself in. Yeah, you know, I was pretty... <laughs> I was pretty desperate for a finish. I really want, I like to finish, you know, if I don't finish my opponent, 
you'll be damn sure that I'm trying to the whole entire fight. And I was really eager for a finish. And I'm not going to lie, that position kind of sucked, man. I was in a split for a long time and it hurt. It, it did not feel good, but I knew I was pretty close to the that finish. And I knew if I kept kept going at it, kept going at it, that eventually it, it kind of opened itself up. And so, you know, versus, I mean, usually when I, when I hit that submission, I do it all the time from half guard by putting the leg over the head. Usually yeah, my knees are a little bit closer together. They're a little bit more like shrimped up, I guess you could say. And it makes it easier to get that leg over. But, you know, I, you know, just got to take chances sometimes. So I threw that leg over and ended up getting the Kimura. So you said it felt like, you know, you were kind of like in a split. I mean, were you worried that you were going to maybe tear your groin or anything like that? I thought I, I for a minute, I thought I did. I, I mean, that like, like I said, like, it, it, to be honest, that position more came down to like who wanted it more because for a quick second, I wanted to, you know, let the submission go just because I was stretched out pretty far. But, you know, I told myself that if I keep working at this Kimura, I'm going to get it. And that's what it came down to was just who wanted it more. And I wanted that submission more than he wanted to, you know, give up on it. For sure. And, you know, we mentioned the fact that you just fought two guys that fought Patty Houlihan. And there's another guy that fought Patty Houlihan recently, and his name is Louis Smolka. What do you think about his fight with Patty Houlihan, and what do you think about a potential matchup with him? You know, I didn't really watch that fight because, you know, I, I, I it didn't really interest me too much. Of it. But Smolka's a guy who I've actually wanted to fight. Uh, before I fought Gene Herrera, I wanted to fight either Smolka or Neil Seary, and, uh, you know, they actually ended up fighting each other. But um, I think Smoko's a, a good a good fighter, very humble guy. You know, I respect him. I respect his style. But you know, if I if I ever got matched up with him, just speaking bluntly, I I really don't think he's on the same level as me right now. I mean, you know, that's not being me being cocky, but just watching him fight and watching his flaws and his holes, I really think that either of those guys, I would exploited their flaws very quickly. Well, that's good that you're so confident because as a fan, because that's what I am. That fight on paper is just fireworks because, you know, we see the, the way you guys transition on the ground. We see the intensity you guys both bring into the cage. So, man, I really hope that they match you up with him. But are you matched up with anyone else right now? Um, That I can't really say. We got to, uh, you know, there, there's something in the works. I can tell you this. It'll be, it'll be a fun one. I'll tell you that. That's good to hear, man. Yeah, we hope that, you know, they finally got you in there with a top 15 guy, you know, because since your UFC debut, they haven't, and it's about time. We want to see Ray Bora go in there and truly get tested. But we left out your fight with Gene Herrera, and, you know, it's interesting because normally Joe Silva and Sean Shelby, they don't match up, you know, newcomers with, at the time, I guess I'd already call you a UFC vet, you know, you had a, your 2-1 and one and a lot, of, you were top 10. And that's how much they respect Gene Herrera because this kid was undefeated at the time. And if you watch his fights outside of the UFC, he's he almost has a similar style to you. You know, he's very scrambly on the ground and obviously you were better and you went in there. And what was it like taking away the confidence of an undefeated guy? You know, I'll, I'll go ahead and say straight up, it was uh, that was the most important thing is to take his confidence because throughout that whole fight week, I that guy, I cannot stand that guy, Gene Herrera. I don't know. What what his problem is, is, I don't know if it's because he's from Florida or what the deal is, but, you know, he's a very cocky guy throughout the whole week we're there. So I knew I just had to break this guy and, you know, break his will. And, you know, he was tough. He hung in there really tough, you know, cut me. I mean, it wasn't like he was beating the shit out of me. He just caught me with the nice elbow. And, you know, I'll give him that as a nice elbow. But he got dominated for three rounds, and then he still ended up talking shit after the fight. So, 
you know, I knew we knew we were well, the reason why we took that fight. We could have turned that fight down if we wanted to. I mean, you know, that was a fight that it was first for a while. It was kind of like a lose lose. You know, he's making his debut. I have a couple fights. So if I beat him, you know, I beat a guy who's a newcomer. If I lose, I lost to a guy who's a newcomer. So but going in there, watching his fights, we knew that definitely that he was he was game UFC material. And I think, you know, his next few fights, he'll do very well for himself. I think he'll establish a good spot in the UFC. And he was really tough and went in there. And uh, the game plan was to just go with the flow. Felt like I can outstrike him and felt like I can definitely outgrapple him. And a lot of people were saying in interviews that they thought because of our similar styles that it was going to pose a problem for me. And I wanted to show everybody that, you know, whether his ground game is good or not, I'll beat him anyways. Yeah, and I think he's going to do really good too. And once he starts getting more victories, it's going to look even better for you that you did have that victory. Now, real quick, can you touch up on uh, you know some of his antics during fight week? Yeah, it was pretty funny because, I mean, I have this mentality of it's fighting, man. Like, I don't care. Like, for example, Louis Smoko, how I said he's a nice guy, he's respectable. I mean, I still don't like him. I don't like anybody in my division. They're just food for me. They're just trying to take what I want. And so that's just my mentality growing up is not to let anybody take what you want and give you shit and try and, you know, scare you. And so to be honest, even if you're a nice guy or not, I don't like anybody in my division. And so when I see my opponent on fight week, I just I don't start beef with them. I'm not for that shit like Conor McGregor and all those other stuff. I'm I go in there to fight and that's my job. And, you know, that's how things go. And so if I see my opponent a fight week, fight week it's just kind of I walk by him don't even really look at him don't even acknowledge him and I just go about my business well I ended up seeing him at the Walgreens right as we got into town because we were getting gallons of water and as soon as he saw me he literally he was like kneeled down as soon as he saw me he got up stood up and literally puffed his chest out and just stared at me as I walked through Walgreens and I just kind of started laughing at him and it's just it was that kind of shit throughout the whole week like I don't know if he felt like he needed to scare me or if it's him trying to be the new Conor McGregor of the flyweight division or what his tactics were, but they didn't work at all. That's actually really funny to hear that shit, man. Just you walk at Walgreens and a dude just every time he sees you, he's puffing up, man. I can imagine you laughing at that. Yeah, it was it was pretty funny to me. Like, I find that shit funny when they try to intimidate you, like or when like even when they like try and like pretend fight you at Wayne's and stuff, because it's like. Why are you going to go through all that struggle all dehydrated? You act like we're not going to fight tomorrow night. Yeah, exactly. And speaking of the weigh-ins, you know, we all know what happened at the last weigh-in. You know, were, uh, were you sick? Was it? Did you miscalculate? What happened, man? Because you're a professional. Yeah, you know, it was, uh, it, was, it was a little bit different circumstances than it usually is. I usually have my teammate, who's my nutritionist, go out there and, uh, you know, he prepares all my food and stuff like that. But he had a fight the same day I did in another, in another, uh, state. So it was, it was me doing everything by myself, which is actually pretty hard when during fight week, when you're already depleted and you have a lot to do, you have, you know, media obligations. So, you know, my meals weren't cooked, cooked on time. My timing was off. I didn't get the right amount of foods in me. And then, you know, it was just a, it was a hard weight cut that, that week. It was a, a lot of bad circumstances that week, but, you know, I did my best to overcome them and I missed weight, but, you know, I try not to let that affect me going into fight night. Yeah. And, you know, obviously you're going to learn from your mistakes going forward, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I don't, I, I don't strongly whatsoever believe in mistakes. I believe mistakes is a dead word. 
I don't believe in mistakes. I believe in lessons is what I believe in. Oh, can you talk about that? Because that's actually really interesting. Yeah, you know, I feel like, you know, nothing is a mistake. Whether you feel like it's a mistake or not, it's just a life lesson, you know. So no matter what it is, if it's cutting weight, if it's even something outside of fighting, you know, any average person's mistakes, you know, it's not a mistake. It's just a life lesson and you learn from it. For sure. And that's a great mentality. Now, obviously, you are a top 10 UFC flyweight. So I know for a fact you're looking at Demetrius Johnson very closely. In your opinion, how far away are you from that fight? Uh, how far do I think I'm away? I think I'm about four fights, comfortably four fights, maybe three fights away, three minimum. And, uh, but I know the UFC kind of wants me more likely in two, depending on how these next fights go. So we'll just play it by ear, man. I mean, you know, depending on how these next couple fights go, we'll, we'll see how, we'll see how everything plays out. For sure. And I was actually going to be like, yeah, it's probably more like two, dude. But let me ask you about your mindset behind that. I mean, you know, do you want four more fights? Do you want that more experience? Or do you really feel like you're right on the cusp right there? Like, what's what's the deal, Ray? Um, I feel skill level wise, I'm pretty close to being there. It's more about getting comfortable and, you know, showing it my full arsenal of fighting style, you know, not just my grappling style. I can't be one dimensional, which I'm not. But I need to go in there and show that. And I need to know I'm ready for that fight because I feel, I strongly believe that everybody goes into a fight with Demetrius Johnson with more of the mentality of to see how long they can last or for the title of saying that they fought for the title. And that's not me. When I go in there to fight Demetrius, I want to beat him. I don't want to be another one of these guys who can say, oh, well, I went five rounds with Demetrius or, you know, I took him down a couple times, you know. I, I dropped him once or twice. You know, I want to go in there and I want to beat him. So if that takes like eight fights to do, then I'm cool with that. As long as I go in there and I beat Demetrius Johnson. For sure, man. And can you talk to me a little bit about where you train? Because obviously, you know, everyone knows Albuquerque, New Mexico for Greg Jackson's. And I know for a fact you don't train there. You train at what they like to call the other gym. And man, there's some badass dudes at your gym. So can you just talk about it real quick? Yeah, man, uh, Fit has a, a lot of underrated fighters. We have a couple fighters, especially now our team's growing, man. We have a couple new additions to our team, uh, a couple guys who fought in RFA before and a bunch of other, you know, good promotions. So we have a lot of professionals at our gym, a lot of very, very, very tough professionals at our gym. And uh, also, you know, we have one of the baddest strikers in the UFC, Tim Means, you know, guy's a freaking animal and one of the most humble, nicest guys you'll ever meet. And, uh... The cool thing about our gym is we're a family and also we're all pretty much homegrown fighters. You know, Jackson's has all these guys who come to their gym already, UFC fighters and already established. You know, we bring fighters up. We, you know, we're all get We're called the wild bunch because, you know, everyone's from Albuquerque, lived the hardcore Albuquerque ghetto life and just trying to fight for a living. Yeah. And you guys, like we mentioned, you guys overcame a lot of adversity. Now, Every time I see you fight, I always see that one coach with the ponytail. And, man, that guy's a badass. So I got to know, who is that coach of yours? That, uh, that's actually my head coach, Tom Vaughn. And you said it pretty correctly. He's a, he's a badass, man. He's, he's the only guy who wears a fanny pack that you don't fuck with. I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah, man. So, I mean, how, have you been working with him for the duration that you've lived in Albuquerque or what? Yeah, he's been um, – I have three coaches uh, at FIT. I have John Judy, who's my wrestling coach, Arlene Sanchez, who she's my striking coach, and, um, you know, Tom Vaughn, who's just our overall MMA coach, and our, our striking coach, Arlene Sanchez, she's uh, 
she's something else, man. She's a bad woman. And uh, no matter how much they want to deny it, Carlos Condit and Tim Means can both thank Arlene Sanchez for their striking abilities. Yeah, and hopefully at some point, Carlos Condit and Tim Means, they get into a fight because, I mean, whenever Carlos Condit or Tim Means is on the card, you know it's guaranteed excitement, it's guaranteed violence. So, hey, what better way than to see them both get in there, right? Right, yeah, you know, we've talked about that fight before, and I think that'd be one of the coolest fights to ever go down in the UFC. It'd just be an all-out dogfight and a battle of home turf, I guess you could say. Now, obviously, Tim Means is your boy, so I'd assume that you'd be rooting for him. Do you think that he would knock out Carlos Condit, or do you think it'd be a close decision, or what? You know, I'm not biased is uh, the cool part about me. Whether you're my teammate or not, I'm not biased, and I'll I'll straight up tell it how I feel. And I feel like Timmy's striking is too clean for Condit, and I I really think it would come down to a, a Timmy winning a unanimous decision. Yeah, so, Ray... You're 22 years old. You're a top 10 flyweight. The sky's the limit. What's next for Ray Borg? Uh, what's next for me is just to keep trucking forward, man. Uh, keep going about these fights the way I'm going. Going in there to win. Going in there to be the best I can be. And uh, just uh, just stay tuned. There's going to be a cool fight announced pretty soon. And I guarantee everyone's going to like it. Yeah, we cannot wait till your next fight gets announced, man. So just go ahead. You know, Plug anything you want to plug. Thank anyone you want to thank. The floor is yours, my friend. Um, yeah, I just want to thank, uh, you know, my gym, Fit NHB, my coaches, Tom, Marlene, and John Judy. Um, also, Nutrisuma for uh, being a great sponsorship and helped me out with all my supplement needs. And uh, even though this Reebok deal's kicked in, I just really want to thank Trent Cotney and Damage Control Mouthguards for sticking with me, even though, you know, can't plug their stuff on the big screen no more. And uh, that's, that's the cool part is I'm staying behind me through all this. Well, I'm glad that they're staying loyal to you. And, you know, I got to thank a couple people myself, all the fans that tune in. Thank you so much. And, you know, for everyone else, you can find me on SoundCloud slash Best Fight Picks. Go to YouTube, find that Best Fight Picks channel, and all the Half the Battle episodes are there. So you guys enjoy that. Ray, best of luck in your upcoming fight. And, hey, man, after you get that big victory, we'd love to have you back on Half the Battle. Yeah, man, it'd be my pleasure to come back on. For sure. You have a great day, Ray. You too.